Open the Word of God with me, please, to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Expository preaching should give the sense as understood by the first hearers and readers of an epistle or passage of Scripture and then make application for us 2,000 years or more later. I want to read to you five verses in Romans chapter 15 that God may be gracious to help us cover this morning. Romans 15 beginning at verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Amen. Amen and amen. We have just spent 141 sermons making our way to Romans 15.8. We have seen since chapter 12 and verse 1, the practical section of the book of Romans, exhorting us to give our bodies a living sacrifice and to conform ourselves to the will of God and not to be conformed to this world. And the great emphasis that we've seen in chapters 12, 13, 14, and thus far in 15 is an emphasis of peace and unity, love, charity, and edification and service toward one another. That's the, that's been the emphasis. There has been some small sections dedicated to obeying civil authority, but the majority of it has been getting along in the church of Jesus Christ. We have just spent in the last eight weeks and 16 sermons, expositorily going through chapters 14 and the first seven verses of 15, and then dealing in a detailed way with matters of Christian liberty. You need to remember the emphasis that I gave you when we were going through Romans chapter 14, that for your imagination, half of the church were Jews sitting in their pews, and half of the church were Gentiles sitting in their pews, and the difference between the two was great. Or I should say the differences between the two were great. They were different from different nations. They were from different races. They had a different culture, and most of all, they had a different religion. They had different anatomies, because the Jews had their anatomies altered by the minor surgery that God gave to Abraham and that they prided themselves in and despised the Gentiles for not having it. The Gentiles thought them rather ridiculous for having it. There was this constant tension between the Jews and the Gentiles, and it is unspoken from 14.1 to 15.7. The apostle does not mention Jews or Gentiles. He just mentions the issues of conflict, and the issues of conflict were Jewish-Gentile controversies. But now he comes... 
after having dealt with those issues of liberty in 30 verses, he comes to five verses in which he's going to identify their cultural, religious, national, racial differences as Jews and Gentiles, and he's going to obliterate it in short order, which an apostle inspired by the Holy Ghost is able to do. In the eighth verse, he's going to identify a higher subject, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to identify that the Lord Jesus Christ was a Jew of the Jews, and a Jew to the Jews. And his ministry was to the nation of Israel, and to the Jews for their fathers, for the truth of God, and the promises that God had made to that group of people. And for that one verse, the Jews in the assembly would have been swelling and shouting amen and rejoicing. And the Gentiles would have, for the moment, felt like they were being relegated to the second class, at best, citizens that they were of the old Jewish nation. And then the apostle takes up in verses 9 through 12 on their behalf and in succession rapidly quotes four passages of Scripture from the Jewish Old Testament Scriptures that had prophesied and promised that Gentiles were going to be brought right in beside them and equal with the most illustrious of the Jews there ever had been. And so we have the five verses. The apostle is trying to break down the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles in the assembly, divorced from the particular matters of meat and drink and holy days. He's just dealing with their cultural backgrounds. And he obliterates it in five verses. And that is our passage for today. And I hope that we can see as we go through the phrases how the Romans would have understood it. And then we can apply it to us here in the year 2013, soon to be 2014. If the Lord doesn't help me progress through these verses, I could stop with the first word. Because the first word has convicted me and blessed me, and I've been waiting for it for some weeks now to get to it. Now! Oh, yes, Lord! Now! Let's have something a little bit better than epidurals. Let's have something a little bit better. Now we can get rid of meat and drink. Now we can come forward to righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost's chief ministry for being in the world is to bear witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now I say that Jesus Christ, and that is what I want you to love from these five verses that the Apostle Paul is turning and he's bringing to bear on them the Lord Jesus Christ. For one verse it'll appear that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Jews. For the next four verses, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be the Gentiles. And by the time he gets done, they've got up out of their pews and they're embracing in the aisle in the church at Rome. And they're shouting and glorifying together. And they're calling for their favorite songs that they may sing them together. And that's what we want to do this day. Lord, help us to that end. Now I say... The Apostle Paul has been dealing with detailed matters of liberty, and now he has something to say that is more general, but it's higher. It is the Lord Jesus Christ and the unity that he should create among Jews and Gentiles. 
I hope that you understand what I just said and that you see it clearly. That he did not mention Jews and Gentiles in those 30 verses. But now he's going to mention them. He dealt with the details at stake. Now he deals with the people at stake. The two halves of the congregation. The apostle had to deal with that everywhere he went. And we should try to appreciate it, though I think it's nearly impossible for us to fully grasp the difference that existed in the churches in the beginning. And that's why there is so much effort spent by Paul to break down those differences and to explain that together we're one body, we're one fold, we're one shepherd under one shepherd in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I say, a thorough explanation and application of Christian liberty, like we've just been through, leaves us panting for some higher ground. Amen. And the Lord has brought us to the higher ground. There is a place for Christian liberty to be taught as it was taught. And I am trusting God by His grace and the Lord Jesus Christ by His influence in His churches and the Holy Spirit by His power to cause those of you, even the young, to remember the things that were taught and to cut off and shut up and discourage and drive away, if necessary, anyone that wants to bring up a private agenda of their little pet peeves or interests. So that this church remains focused, unified, at peace, and full of joy in the Holy Ghost around the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I say, this is a new topic. This is a change in his argument. Now I say, as he deals with the people at stake rather than the details at stake, now I say that Jesus Christ... And oh, what sweet words we have in those words. That Jesus Christ. Because we're brought to the sweetest part of the gospel. We're brought to the sweetest name on earth. We're brought to the sweetest doctrine that there is. The person and the work and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Nothing else should be more important than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself talked like this when He was on earth. To a people that so adored his scriptures, they boxed them and wore them on their foreheads and wore them on their arms. Search the scriptures, he said in John 5.39. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. But they are they which testify of me. We're to the sweet essence And we are to the ultimate objective and purpose for the Word of God. And that is to reveal to us the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. John 5.40 He came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Thank you, Lord, for regenerating us Gentiles, that we have come to thee and believed on thee, and we are indeed the sons of God. The Apostle Paul would say, I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And if any man adds to this foundation that's been laid, which is Christ Jesus, God will destroy him. Next chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul would say, God forbid that I should glory save 
in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. The, the, the verse, the words four and five, or five and six in verse eight are sweet to us. And I'm glad to get to them. And I'm thankful today to get to them. Now I say that Jesus Christ Because that's where we want to focus our religion. That's where we want to focus our hearts. That's where we want to focus our minds. That is why we want to read the Bible. That is why we want to hear the Gospel preached. That is why we're going to have the Lord's Supper. That's why we're going to sing. I want you to rally around the ensign. I want you to rally around the banner, the symbolism, the royal crest of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because a root of David has been raised up. And in Him shall the Gentiles trust. We're part of an army. We're under a king. We're citizens of a holy nation. And it's not the United States of America. There's nothing holy about that nation. We are citizens of a holy nation. The Lord Jesus Christ is our God, our King, and our Savior. And you should be rejoicing, you Gentiles. Because these five verses are to break down that aisle of division between the two halves of the Roman church. He is to get all the preeminence in the church. In Colossians chapter 1 and 18, I'll read it to you. It says this about the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. He is the firstborn from the dead. He's the first one that God resurrected and glorified. He's the firstborn to be glorified in heaven. He's always going to be the firstborn. The firstborn has all the rights. The firstborn has the privileges. The firstborn is the great son in a Jewish family. And Jesus Christ is always the firstborn that in all things he might have the preeminence. And so we get to this eighth verse. Now I say that Jesus Christ... He's the great unifying fact and person of the kingdom of heaven and of the universe. He was the great divider among the Jews because only a few believed on Him. It says often in the Gospel of John, and there was a division among the people because of Him. Because when Jesus Christ is preached, and Jesus Christ is preached plainly, without fables and without entertainment, God's ministers always triumph because it reveals life and it reveals death. Second right. Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. And we do not alter the preaching of God's Word so that it can do its holy work. And its holy work is to expose those that are not born again and that are not members of God's kingdom and to comfort and rejoice those that are. Amen. Because it's, it is a savour of death unto death in those that perish, and it is a savour of life unto life in those that are saved. That is the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it should not be modified. And it should not be covered. It should not be justified or explained. It should just be preached. Because the more jokes we tell and the more illustrations we give and the more anecdotes that we apply to the Word of God, it waters down that holy division that ought to be there between the wicked and the righteous. But it unites the elect from both Jews and Gentiles. And it's doing its great work whenever Jesus Christ is lifted up and exalted. 
He was the great divider to the Jewish nation. They did not bring forth fruit for Him, for the glory of God from the vineyard that God gave them. That is their nation. And so He took the vineyard from them and gave it to a nation that would bring forth the fruits thereof. And what are the fruits that God wants based on this context for us? For us to rejoice. For us Gentiles to rejoice. To confess His name. To sing. To laud Him. To confess to praise, to bless Him, to magnify Him, and to exalt Him. And so we can fulfill our destiny. We can fulfill what God expects from saving the Gentiles. We can give Him fruit for His vineyard. He's given us His vineyard right here. We are part of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ by being members of His church. The Lord Jesus Christ walks among His golden candlesticks. He's here today. We're worshiping the Son of God. We're we're praising the Son of God. And God is glorified in heaven because we're doing it. And it's the fruit that He expects from us. Blood is thicker than blood. And it's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that goes right down the aisle of a church and unites Jews and Gentiles on both sides. We don't even have those kind of differences among us people. We're all Gentiles. There's no real big difference among us. Our little differences shouldn't be mentioned in context with the differences found in the pages of Scripture between Jews and Gentiles. Our differences are petty, and they should be ignored. But it's the blood of Christ that unites us because blood is thicker than blood. The world can have their blood is thicker than water, meaning that family is tighter than friendship. But we have the Lord Jesus Christ's blood uniting us so that it is tighter than family even Because if we forsake family, then we're truly His disciples. And He will replace that earthly, biological DNA family with a better, greater, more numerous family. Communion is going to be seen at the Lord's table. It's called communion. All these things I've taught you before. It's called communion because there is our common union. The Gentiles and the Jews had so many things different between them, but with the Lord's table and the Lord Himself and His shed blood, they had common union. They were one body. They were one bread. One kind of bread. Praise His glorious name. And it's all wrapped up as we get started here in this five-verse passage with the words, Jesus Christ. The difference between Jews and Gentiles was ripped down and torn to shreds by the Lord Jesus Christ. And you read it last evening in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Now there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither barbarian nor Scythian. There's neither male nor female. There's neither bond nor free. It's all been wiped out in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the Apostle Paul taking one of those divisions. Now see, sometimes he'll deal with bond and free, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 20, and he does a masterful job there by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But here, it is this Jewish-Gentile issue. And I want you to see how masterfully he deals with it. One verse for the Jews, four for the Gentiles, quoted from the Jews' own scriptures. By the time he gets done in five verses, they're in the aisle. Now, we don't have Jews and Gentiles in here, but and we're not going to get in the aisle and do anything drastic today. I won't object for a few of you if you want to praise the Lord a little. But let's see what the Apostle did here in these few verses by the Holy Spirit as he wrote this epistle to them. 
It's a pain, and it's troubling to even leave the words Jesus Christ, but we need to explain the passage. I've been waiting to get to this. I've been shouting all week these first six words. Now I say that Jesus Christ, because that gets us to higher ground. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision. Sometimes the right of the Jews circumcising their boy babies at eight days of age is used to describe a Jew. It's common language with Paul. He does it not only in this epistle, chapters 3 and 4, he does it in other epistles as well, where he just refers to the Jews as the circumcision, because in the whole earth, they were the only ones that circumcised their boy babies. So he refers to them, refers to Jesus Christ as a minister of the circumcision. They were noted for this right, and so Paul uses it to describe them. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing inherently wrong with describing someone by some particular trait of their nation or of their race because Paul does it here about the Jews and Paul does it about the Cretans in Titus chapter 1 about uh, different problems that they had. Jesus was born to two Jewish parents, one biological and one legal. The biological parent was Mary and her ancestry is traced all the way back to Adam in Luke chapter 3. Joseph was his legal father in the Jewish nation and his ancestry is traced all the way back to Abraham, the father of the Jews. He was a Jew born to two Jewish parents, both out of the seed of David, both out of Abraham, both Jews. And so he was a Jew. And his ministry was to the Jews. He said, he came unto his own and his own received him not. John chapter 1 and verse 11. He said in Matthew chapter 15 as he commissioned his apostles, Go not to the Gentiles, but rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that was the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He preached to Jews. He traveled back and forth from the Sea of Galilee to Jerusalem and all about preaching in synagogues and preaching in the temple. But he was a Jewish minister. He was a Jewish preacher. He preached to the Jews. And thus far, the Jews in the assembly at Rome are thankful and praising God for having raised up the Lord Jesus Christ to preach in their synagogues and their temples to their own people. He, he explained on trial before Pilate that he was always and constantly in the temple in Jerusalem and in synagogues of their, that nation, so there was no reason to ask him any questions about his convictions, his faith, his doctrine, his preaching, and his conduct, because it was all known to the Jews. I have done nothing in secret. It's all been open, and it's all been in this nation, in your synagogues and temples. Consistent with that ministry of his, he commissioned the apostles to begin in the same place. And so Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 teaches us, But after that ye shall receive power, When the Holy Ghost has come upon you, ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, then in Judea, the surrounding area, then in Samaria, another area that weren't full-blooded Jews, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. And that is the order that the apostles took, but that was after Pentecost, and Pentecost was ten days after Jesus Christ had ascended back into heaven. This was so much the case that Jesus was the minister of the circumcision 
or a preacher to Jews that the apostles had a hard time accepting Gentile converts. Peter, when he arrived in Caesarea to meet with Cornelius, said, you know it's against the law for this little meeting to be taking place. Then in chapter 11, he's called on the carpet. There was contention in Jerusalem because of what Peter did with Cornelius, and he had to explain all that God had shown him and taught him and why he went to Gentiles. So we have thus far, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision. Jesus Christ was a preacher to you Jews in the church at Rome. He is dealing for five verses with the people. For 30 verses, he dealt with the details. Meat, drink, days. Some were vegetarians because they didn't want to eat meat and possibly sin. Now he's dealing with the people. Oh, what, what was he a minister of the circumcision for? Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision. For what? Do you know how long we could preach from this verse? For the truth of God. Amen. For the truth of God. There was only one nation on earth that had that truth. The Jewish nation. We were cut off. Do you know that our ancestors were about as ignorant as we could possibly ever describe them? We were so blind and so foolish and rejected the God of heaven and the Creator that has made Himself visible through the glory of the heavens. We worshipped anything from totem poles to bugs. We worship statues of men to the moon. We would worship anything but a Creator God. Amazing. Gentiles. But there was a group of people on earth that had the truth of God. And God has had truth from the founding of the universe. And before that truth, truth committed to His everlasting covenant to save Jews and Gentiles alike. And it's truth. It's real truth. In the previous 30 verses, there really isn't any truth. Every man chooses his position on a matter of liberty, but that isn't truth. That's just your preference. And your preference is no better than someone else's preference. And neither preference makes any difference to God, and that's what it says. In 1 Corinthians 8.8 and Romans 14.6, it's a shame That people will get divided and that people will separate from a church over things that aren't truth. Romans 14, 1 through 15, 7, rather than be united by the things that are truth. And the things that are truth start in verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. There is a body of truth. Do you know how special, how blessed you are and how much thanksgiving you should give to God because of the thoughts that have been expressed towards you from the God of heaven? And His thoughts have been expressed in a body of truth that He's known from eternity. But it's been conveyed to a small group of people on earth and it's been put in writing in the Holy Scriptures. Jesus Christ was a minister of the Jews, a preacher to the Jewish nation for the truth of God. And it is that truth that we should love here. And it is that truth for which we should be thankful. The truth of God. 
Do you really know what truth is? Do you really think your internet research arrives at truth? On any subject. Do you really know what truth is? The real truth impacts the universe and the eternal destiny of souls. It's an incredible body of knowledge. It's an incredible body of doctrine. It is the truth of God. There is a truth, there's truth, and there's lies. And most men live a lie for their life, and then they get to go to a truly eternal hell. Unbelievable how many men, and especially us Gentiles, that spend our lives living a lie, believing a lie, practicing a lie, trusting in a lie, and then fall into hell. Do you know how terrible that is? The vast majority of the human race is doing it right now, today. They're up right now watching programming designed to work them up for the NFL game that will start at noon or 1 o'clock. And as soon as that game starts, they're going to be tweaked and tweaked and tweaked again about the next game on the schedule of that particular broadcaster. They're out playing games. And they're dropping into hell. To the tune of 56 million a year. There's the truth of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ bore witness to the truth. And He brought the truth. And Pilate would say to him, like the world says today, what is truth? They don't know what truth is. We know what truth is. They think that they're practicing truth toward that little Sandy Hook elementary school up there in New England someplace. Why aren't they thinking about all the other children that have died in the last year? Why aren't they repenting? Do you know what the Lord Jesus Christ would say if He was given one minute at Sandy Hook elementary school? Repent, or ye shall all likewise perish. It's exactly what he would say. We know it from Luke chapter 13. We know the truth of God. We could spend forever, almost, on the truth of God that is found here in this 8th verse that Jesus Christ was a preacher to the Jews for the truth of God. He preached the truth of God. The Pharisees had corrupted it so badly that when you go to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7, he had to keep saying there in that passage... Matthew chapter 5, Ye have heard, but I say unto you. Ye have heard, but I say unto you. Because he was a preacher of the truth of God. And so he taught them very differently than what they had heard. And it says at the end of that Sermon on the Mount, at the last two verses of Matthew chapter 7, the people were astonished, for he spake as one having authority, and not like their scribes. Those scribes, what did they do all day? copied Bibles by hand. How much did they know about the sense? They couldn't even recognize that a man feeding multitudes, raising the dead, healing every manner of disease, and casting out devils with the finger of God, and calming storms, was their Messiah. Even though he had been born at the end of a perfectly detailed timeline of 70 weeks of years from Daniel chapter 9. They couldn't figure it out. And so Jesus Christ came and declared it to them, and they still wouldn't believe it. They crucified Him. He was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. Are you able to identify real truth? 
It's measured by the Word of God. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Is that your attitude as a Gentile? Are you going to give up on all the books written by Gentiles? Are you going to trust a book written by Jews? Amen. It's the Word of God. Yes, we will, brother. We're going to trust a book written by Jews, written by the fathers of the Lord Jesus Christ and fathers of the nation of Israel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is based on the truth of God, and it is the truth of God revealed to men. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, Deuteronomy 29, 29. But the revealed things belong unto us and our children, that we may do all the words of this law. There are 7 billion people on this planet right now. Do you want to wager an estimate of how many understand the truth of God? Is it 10%? That would be 700 million. Is it 1%? That would be 70 million. Is it one-tenth of 1%? 7 million. Where are they? The truth of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. Holding your hand there at Romans chapter 15, look at Psalm 147 so that we can be reminded of how rare it was so that we're not surprised by how rare it is. Even though the word of God's been translated into most of the languages of the earth in one shape or another, few believe it. Few truly believe it. Few truly want to live by it. Now the Jews that were sitting in the church at Rome, as this epistle was read to them, fully understood Romans 15.8. And they were feeling their oats at the moment while the, this verse was read to them. That yeah, That's right. We had the truth of God. You Gentiles over there on the other side of the aisle, it's unbelievable what you and your ancestors worshipped. <laughs> the last two verses of Psalm 147. He showeth his word unto Jacob. That's one of the fathers of the Israelite nation. His statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. And what should you do with such electing and distinguishing and differentiating grace? What should you do? Praise ye the Lord. Amen. At least he didn't leave the earth devoid of truth. If you had been God, what would you have done when you gave them one commandment and they chose to believe a lie rather than your truth in the Garden of Eden? But there's a God in heaven and He's gracious and He's loving and He reserved His truth in the earth. Amen. And we're partakers of it today. But we're not that far yet. We're just back there in 60 A.D., sitting in Rome, and you're sitting on the Gentile side, and the Jewish side is smirking at you because Jesus Christ was a preacher to them because they had had the truth and had preserved it for 1,500 years. They did have scribes. Do you know how many errors those scribes made in bringing to us the Scriptures? They didn't make errors. God used them and preserved them for the preservation of the Old Testament Scriptures. 
if they made an error, they'd find it and get rid of it. And God would help them do it. In the book of Jeremiah, it tells us that even when pages of it were burned, God would simply redictate it all over again, and it would be written down again with a pen and ink on paper, as it is carefully explained to us. And that's what we believe about the preservation of God's Word. A verse like this that we just read in Psalm 147 should make you very thankful. The Gentile nations, when they heard about the precepts that Israel followed in their nation, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, it said, Moses told them, when if you keep the precepts that God's given you, all the nations of the earth are going to envy you because of the wisdom of the laws that you have in your nation and of the closeness of your God to you. They don't know anything like that. We were cut out. All of you children, we didn't have a right to even get near God. We didn't know God. We didn't know how to worship God. And He wouldn't accept our worship anyway because we were Gentiles. We were worshiping the sun. We were worshiping the moon. And how did we worship the sun? We would take you, little children, and we would take you to church and we would toss you into a great big burning arms of an idol and we would have the drums beating so that we wouldn't have to hear you screaming for the two seconds it took for you to die. That's what we did as Gentiles. That's what great-grandpa did, Joseph. Great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa. We sacrificed our children to idols because we didn't know the true and living God. But Israel knew them. And Jesus Christ came for the truth of God. Amen. Mind-boggling events took place before the world began, but how would we know about them? They can't even figure out what took place 3,000 years ago. It took them how many decades to find Osama bin Laden? They don't know anything. They think that global warming is going on. While we just set a record of 135.8 degrees below zero in the Arctic, And do you know when that took place? I asked you in an update. I know that you don't read the updates, but I send it to you to make you think. Do you know when it took place? In 2010, when they were yapping at their loudest. See, it takes a while to get data out of the Arctic. They don't know anything. We know everything. We know about events that took place before the foundation of the world. Do you know what it says in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2? It says that God who cannot lie, that sounds like the truth of God, doesn't it? God who cannot lie promised eternal life before the world began. That is special news. God promised eternal life before the world began. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. To confirm the promises. What truth of God should we get the most excited about? To confirm the promises made unto the fathers. To confirm the promises. Amen. What promises? The promises from Genesis chapter 3 to Malachi chapter 4 that God would raise up a male seed that would bruise the serpent's head, that would take the throne of David and rule forever with perfect justice and perfect peace, and destroy all enemies forever. And it takes three quarters of the Bible 
to tell us the experience of that nation of people and God's dealings with them and the promises made to the fathers. I love the fact that the word promises is used here. Sometimes the Bible uses the word prophecies. But see, with God there is no difference. Because when God prophesies something, it is a promise. Because He will certainly fulfill it. Other men, when they prophesy things, it's not a promise, it's a guess. It's a speculation. It's a, I hope this is going to come to pass. Just go online and look up the prophecies of Benny Hinn and find out how many of them have come to pass. Go online and look up the prophecies of Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and see how many of his prophecies came to pass. Go find his successor, Judge Rutherford, and look up the prophecies they made that didn't come to pass. But the prophecies of our God given to the fathers are promises. Amen. And God that cannot lie promised eternal life before the world began. Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. A lot of things took place before the world began. How can we know about them? It's the truth of God, and Jesus came to reveal them to us. Because the next verse, after the one I just quoted, 2 Timothy 1.9, that God's grace and purpose in Christ Jesus was given to us before the world began. In Christ Jesus, who hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereof I am made a preacher and an apostle, Paul would write. Is that wonderful? That's the truth of God. Jesus was a preacher to the Jewish nation for the truth of God, of things promised and done before the world began, of the setting up of the everlasting covenant, and of all the promises that were made to the fathers. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 is God speaking to the devil that the male seed of that little woman over there that you just picked on, that little woman over there that I have just cursed her childbirth, and it's going to be her conception and childbirth is going to involve much sorrow. Will you get excited with me a little bit? I don't need amens. I just want excitement in your hearts and souls. I don't don't preach for amens. They sure do help though. But I don't need them. Because all I need is this right here. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises. God cursed the woman's childbearing ability. God promised her sorrow and her conception and childbirth. And then He turned to the devil and said... That woman is going to give birth to a male seed and he is going to bruise your head. The largest Christian denomination in the world is the Roman Catholic Church. It numbers 1.2 billion. They like to write me from time to time when I pick on their sacred religion. When When I agree with them that they are the mother church, they write me back and dislike it. They call themselves the Mother Church, but when I tell them to the Mother Church, they don't like it. I just use Revelation chapter 17, 1 through 6, that says to the Mother Church, the great whore, the mother of harlots and mother of abominations of the earth. They can't figure it out because they've got, uh, they've got Mary standing on the serpent. They believe that Mary destroyed the serpent. But we know it was a male seed that destroyed the serpent. For this cause was Jesus Christ manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2.14, 1 John 3 and verse 8. Jesus said, 
that if I be lifted up from the earth is the judgment of this world and the prince of this world. And he was lifted up from the world on a cross, the cross of Calvary. To confirm the promises, it was Jesus who fulfilled the greatest promises ever given to Israel that a man was coming who was God, King, and Savior. What else do you want? What do you want for lunch? You thinking about lunch right now? I love every one of you. I want us to to pull ourselves out of all the distractions of our lives to think about truth that was promised to the fathers of the Jewish nation. A man was coming, born of a woman, who was God, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, who was king, like David, but better than David, and who was a savior, who was cut off, not for himself, but for your sins and for my sins. What's your favorite prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ? If I asked you right now, on the penalty of death, could you save yourself in the next 60 seconds by coming up with a prophecy? Can't use Genesis 3.15 because I just used it. Can you think of one? Can you think of two? If it was a million dollars per, how many could you think of? I don't need the million, but I do like notes. They're wonderful. They're wonderful. Grab your Bibles and very fast with me, go to Genesis 22. Go to Genesis 22. We can't talk about fathers without talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and Abraham. Genesis chapter 22. This is a whole study unto itself. I was, I was outlining to my wife last night of how many months I could preach on Romans 15, 8. And I wanted two Sundays, four services for the promises of God. Those words. Because, and here's a couple of them. Genesis 22 and verse 18. God speaking to Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Who's he talking about? Israel? No, he's talking about Gentiles. Who's he talking about? You and me today. And in thy seed. Who's the seed of Abraham? The Jews over in the Middle East? The Jews of the Holocaust? No. The Lord Jesus Christ, Galatians 3.16. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because thou hast obeyed my voice. Let's go back to verse 17. That in blessing I will bless thee. And in multiplying I will multiply thy seed. As the stars of the heaven. And as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Are all our enemies going to be destroyed? Are there a, is there a numerous company in heaven that no man can number? Amen. Oh, yes. And the majority of them, are they Jews or Gentiles? Oh, they're Gentiles. Yes. Look at Genesis chapter 49. Jacob is on his deathbed. His sons are gathered around him. He's worked his way down from the first son to the fourth son. And he has this to say. He has this to say to the fourth son. Genesis 49.10 The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Where are you in that verse? Oh, Yes. The gathering of the people. 
And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. This is the truth of God. To confirm the promises made unto the fathers. These were incredible promises. Judah was always going to have a lawgiver that was going to come out between his feet. The birth descent of the Lord Jesus Christ came through Judah and his incest with his daughter-in-law. But it came nonetheless. The Lord Jesus Christ is of the tribe of Judah. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to open the book. This is the truth of God and promises made to the fathers. In Genesis chapter 49, look at Deuteronomy 18. A more obscure one, but an important one nonetheless. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Do you know that once upon a time, the nation of Israel told Moses, we don't want God to speak with us anymore. It's too loud and it's too scary. And our our puppy dogs might get loose and run past that velvet rope up there around the bottom of Mount Sinai and we don't want to have to have dart practice on them. You say, is that all in the Bible? Yes, it's all in the Bible. Not quite the puppy and the darts, but... Yeah, forgive me. Darts are absolutely there. It just doesn't say puppy. You had to kill anything that got near Mount Sinai because God was so terrible that mountain was altogether shaking. And the Bible says that Moses was exceedingly fearful and quaking himself. And the people said, we don't want God to talk with us anymore. We want you to go up and find out whatever God has to tell us and you come down and say it to his face to face. When Moses came down, what did his face look like? It was glowing. What did he have to do so they could even handle being in his presence? Put a veil over his face to shade him down a bit, to tone him down. That's what it's like being in the presence of God. Now God heard what they said. Now God knows everything from the beginning and known unto God are all his works from the foundation of the world. But look at this prophecy. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. Uh, we got to get 17. The Lord said unto me, this is Moses speaking, the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among them, from among their brethren, like unto thee. God speaking to Moses, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. The translation of that by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 3 is, He shall be destroyed from among the people. Did something happen to the Jews that didn't believe on Jesus Christ? Indeed. That's a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. When John the Baptist was baptizing, the Jews went out to John and said, Art thou Elias? That's Elijah. He was the prophetic Elijah. But he wasn't Elijah. He said, nope. Are you Jeremiah or one of the other prophets? Nope. Are you that prophet that's supposed to come? This prophecy. Nope. Who are you then? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight paths for God. Because he's coming and the one that's coming after me, I'm not worthy to loose his shoe latchet. That's the truth of God and the promises. Oh, did I preach to you the Messianic Psalms in the last few years? Was it a few months ago? What are Messianic Psalms? Psalms that are prophecies and promises of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. So we're not going to go to those 17 prophecies in the book of Psalms. Do you know Isaiah 7:14? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold a... 
What does it say in the Revised Version? A young woman. What does it say in the King James Version? Therefore, a virgin shall conceive. How does a virgin conceive? By the miraculous power of God through the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us is born, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Oh, and look at Isaiah 11. See, it's 7, 9, 11. Can you remember those lucky numbers? And I mean that in all due respect for God's Word. Can you remember Isaiah 7, 9, and 11? It's three precious promises about the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. First verse of Isaiah 11. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Remember the dove at his baptism? The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. Did he ever have a problem with questions posed by the doctors of the Jewish law, even when he was 12 years old? No, because look at this prophecy of him. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes. Did he teach in John seven twenty four, judge not after appearance, but judge righteous judgment? Because he'd been taught that by the Holy Spirit. Do you know what kind of a preacher the Jews had? He's our Savior. Amen. He's our King. He's our Lord. He's our brother. He's our friend. He's the high priest of this church. He's the bishop of this church. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. He's the cornerstone of this church. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's everything. The Lord Jesus Christ right here. These are promises made to the fathers. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Amen. Amen. Indeed. That's Isaiah. Look at Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. This is the truth of God. This is a body of truth, a body of doctrine that was preserved in one nation for 1,500 years from Abraham. 2,000 years from Abraham until the Lord Jesus Christ. 1,500 years from Moses. 1,000 years from David. 500 years from the last of the minor prophets. Verse 5 of Jeremiah 23, Behold, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Do you know who's writing this? Jeremiah is writing this. What does the city of Jerusalem look like? Rubble. Because it happened during his lifetime. Rubble. But look at what's coming. Verse 6, In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But, they're going to say, The Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country, that's the Babylonians, and from all countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. In the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, they would be under David, not before. There are so many of these prophecies that are just wonderful. Look at chapter 30. 
Jeremiah chapter 30. These are the promises made to the fathers. Jesus Christ came to fulfill them. To confirm them. For the truth of God. And oh, the Jews were rejoicing in Rome as they heard that verse read to them. Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 9. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king. Now David's been dead for 400 years. But they're going to serve David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. How did God raise up David to to lead and rule as a king over the nation of Israel? By his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34. I like it in the Bible when we find the Lord Jesus Christ referred to not as the son of David, but as David himself. David was the most glorious king Israel had. Not the richest. That was his son Solomon. But David was plenty rich himself. After all, what did Solomon build the temple with but what David donated? David was the one that established the forts all the way from the Euphrates River to the Nile River. Solomon didn't. Solomon didn't fight. Solomon was a man of peace because David did all the dirty work for him. But Israel loved David. His name was much set by the tables of the households of Israel. He was the worship leader of God. He invented the instruments. He laid out the music. And he wrote the lyrics. And then he organized the choirs and the bands. He was a musician. He loved the Lord. He danced with all his might. He didn't care about being king. He ripped off his garments. And his wife said, you didn't look like a king today. Well, she never got in his bed again. Because he was a man that loved the Lord. They all wanted to be like David. David killed Goliath. David did everything. David walked with God. David was a man after God's own heart. And so here along comes the Bible in Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 23. And I will set up one shepherd over them. Have we heard that earlier today? Does Ezekiel 34 agree with John 10? Should we be surprised? And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was going to, who is the good shepherd? I am the good shepherd. David is not our shepherd. The Lord Jesus Christ is our shepherd. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. Seventy weeks of years from Daniel chapter 9 until the Lord Jesus Christ, until Messiah. Messiah shall be cut off in the midst of the week and put an end to all the sacrificial system of Moses' law. No longer any of those sacrifices needed. Look at Hosea. Can you find Hosea? Daniel, Hosea. Does Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 tell us that he that was from old would be born... In a, little town, in a little obscure town called Bethlehem of Judea, among the thousands of Judea? Did the scribes of Israel know that? Did the scribes of Israel know when Herod said, where is the king of the Jews to be born? Did they tell him Bethlehem? Was there someone born in Bethlehem at that time? Could they figure that out? Could they add two and two and two and get six? No. They said he did it by the power of Beelzebub. Are you thankful for the truth of God? Those were His people and they couldn't figure it out. We are not His people and we never figured out anything. But we've got this figured out, don't we? Why? 
because the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is resting upon us and has made us of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. Amen. And it's not because of our intelligence, nor because of our diligence, nor because of our faithfulness, but all of his mercy and grace, which is why it says in the next verse that the Gentiles should praise God for his Amen. mercy. His mercy. His mercy. His mercy. Because it's all of mercy. It's all of grace. Hosea 3, verse 4. Hosea 3, 4. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king. But were those that had the right to the throne continuing to have little baby boys? Were they? For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince and without a sacrifice and without an image, and without an ephod, and without teraphim, afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. (laughs) Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and there's so many of them. Do you remember the poor Israelites that had come back, the poor Jews that had come back from Babylon, and we're centered in Jerusalem, this big pile of rubble, and they've laid out and pegged the foundation for a new temple. You know, the temple that Solomon built was one of the wonders of the world. And they've come back, and they're looking at the little stakes with the strings, laying out the temple that they're going to build, and it was so small that the audience broke into two different things. The young people started rejoicing that they were going to have a temple back in Jerusalem because they knew that's where Jehovah wanted to be worshipped. The old men started bawling, because it was so small and so insignificant, and all the wealth that they were going to have to decorate the thing was over here in one little bucket. So they start crying. And so the Bible tells us that there was the, there was the sound of shouting, and there was the sound of crying, so that you couldn't tell if people were happy or not. So the Lord came along and said, Don't worry about anything, right. you old men. This house, this second house, the latter house, is going to have greater glory than the former house. Because in this latter house, the desire of all nations is going to come and worship in it. And he's going to make peace in this house. When the veil was rent from top to bottom. Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. Is it my top 10? Mm -hmm. Yes. The desire of all nations shall come so that the glory of the second house would crush the glory of the former house. Zerubbabel's temple far outdid Solomon's temple because the best that Solomon's temple ever had was Solomon's worship that was done there. But Zerubbabel's temple had the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when he went there as an eight-day-old child, Simeon and Anna knew that redemption had arrived in Jerusalem. Luke chapter 2. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. That's Romans 15 and verse 8. Much more could be said, but it'll have to be said at another time because we're going to move forward after our break. But that's Romans 15, 8. For the duration of that verse, for hearing those words, the Jews would have rejoiced. The most important word in the passage, if I can say that, the most important word in the passage is a word that you have never looked up in a concordance. It's the first word of verse 9. It's the word and. And. We get to worship right alongside Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Solomon, Zerubbabel, right on down to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And you can check with my wife if I've had a problem screaming and in the house this past week. I want to have a problem. I want to glorify God, and you better laud him, you Gentiles. And, and is a very special word in this passage because it takes verse 8 for the Jews, verses 9 through 12 for the Gentiles, and ties them together. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Amen. Praise the Lord.